Tested is sponsored by Duke Health, home of the Pandemic Response Network, helping communities stay safe and connected during the COVID-19 pandemic by partnering with local school, business, and faith-based organizations to launch COVID-19 symptom support programs in their own communities. Learn more at pandemicresponsenetwork.org. We're also supported by Hungry Harvest, delivering farm-fresh produce and kitchen staples to your door starting at $15. Every delivery fights food waste and supports local hunger-solving organizations. HungryHarvest.net I'm Dave DeWitt. This is Tested from WUNC, a look at what the day's challenges tell us about where we are, what we believe, and who we want to be in North Carolina and the South. Today, the lives lost. We've spent a year or so here on Tested explaining and analyzing numbers. Numbers of COVID cases, of available PPE, of hospitalizations, and of deaths. There are numbers that have sucked for a lot of reasons. At the top of that list, numbers are so inhumane. We can say that 12,000 or so North Carolinians have died of COVID, or half a million Americans, or 2.8 million people worldwide. But that doesn't begin to capture the pain of that one death, of your friend, your parent, your partner, or your child. On WUNC This Week, we're telling some of those life stories. And after this podcast, you should really go to wunc.org and find the Lives Lost series. There, you can read and listen to the stories of James Hamilton from Spindale or Billy Bingham Jr. from Gastonia and the others. Today, we hear from the reporters who brought some of those stories to you about why telling those stories matters so much to listeners and to the families themselves. It's also true that these kinds of life stories present a special burden and have a special personal resonance with those who report them. First up, I spoke to WUNC education reporter Liz Schlemmer. I knew I wanted to profile a teacher, and I read a beautiful remembrance of Jamie Seitz in the Charlotte Observer that was actually written by a friend of his, Scott Fowler, who writes for the Observer. And it struck a chord with me in a big way. I saw so many similarities between Jamie's story and something that I had actually experienced uh, about six months before the pandemic started. My dad, who was a teacher and coach, died unexpectedly on a school day. And he was in his 50s, like Jamie. And he was supposed to be in school the next Monday, and he wasn't. And so from early on in the pandemic, I thought about how many schools would eventually experience something like that, a missing teacher. And uh, we know at least 15 educators in North Carolina have died of COVID this year. There were many things that I connected to about Jamie and his story, his personality, and I just felt like I had to meet his family and I wanted to give them something that would make them smile even when it would probably make other people cry, including me. When people think of Jamie, I guarantee you the first response is that they will smile. Hi everyone, I'm Mr. Seitz and I teach physical education and health. Would you rather have butterfly wings or a horse tail? Butterfly wings. <laughs> would you rather have a pet dinosaur or a pet dragon? pet dinosaur for sure. 
Jamie was mischievous. He was funny. He was sarcastic. He was always fun to listen to and to be around. Many, many people think of Jamie as, as their best friend, and he was. Liz, you spoke to the family of Jamie Seitz. You spoke to friends. What did they tell you that his loss meant to them and to the community? I think it was immeasurable for his family and, and not just his family. I mean, teachers and coaches have a really big presence in their students' lives, too. So his loss wasn't just felt by his wife and his family. His kids had also been his students, had also been coached by him. They're teenagers. Um, but also, you know, there were kids in his elementary school who were planning to see him in gym class again. Um, his basketball team was midseason, and his son is also on that team, and they kept going on without him. One thing that was really powerful for me about this story was the way that the community had responded. Um, Jamie's brother talks about being stopped at a restaurant um, by a stranger at a restaurant who tells him how much Jamie meant to this guy's son. Um, and Jamie's wife, Liz, gives this beautiful retelling of a community memorial for her husband. Thousands of people sat in their cars to listen to the service that was broadcast over a radio frequency. We're going to honor Coach Seitz with a candle lighting. We have a number of prayer lanterns that are going to be released. We lit lanterns. The sky was clear. It was full of stars. And when we lit the lanterns and the lanterns went up, the entire sky lit up. And I just remember thinking it really encompassed who Jamie was as a person, just so bright and so big and awesome. It's almost impossible not to report and produce these kinds of stories without uh, spending a lot of time thinking about your own family, your own situation, your own communities. Did reporting and producing this story change how you looked at the pandemic itself? I think it was a reflection of how I was already thinking about it because I'm just coincidentally grieving someone this year at the same time. And so, you know, I've thought about how the pandemic isn't only about the economy or about everyone's lives being turned upside down. That's really just a precaution for what other people are experiencing, which is death and loss. Um, you know, you take any one of these obituaries that we wrote or that we could write, and they're each unique, and they're all heart-wrenching. And they have some universal similarities in them, too. I think several of us reported that, um, you know, things like feeling that a person might just walk in the door and everything's going to be okay and everything's going to be back to normal again. So you take one family's grief or one community's grief and it's overwhelming to try to multiply that in your head, right? Times 15 educators or 12,000 North Carolinians or half a million Americans. And it's, it's too big for our brains to process. So it's more manageable and more real to zoom in and focus on one person and think about who they are and, and why they mattered.
That was WUNC education reporter Liz Schlemmer. Next, I talked with WUNC reporter Celeste Gracia. She said she wanted to talk to the loved ones of a person who had been living in a congregate setting, like a nursing home, prison, or farm worker housing, where COVID has been spreading quickly among marginalized residents. Eventually, I found Jane Klein, who was a nursing home resident. And I found Jane because I went on uh, the Reddit thread in Fayetteville and posted that I was trying to find families who would be willing to talk to me. And Jane's great nephew messaged me on Reddit and said that he, he and his family would be willing to talk to me. I spoke to Kristen Niles Tracy, who is Jane's niece. I spoke to Caden Heald, who is Kristen's son and Jane's great nephew. It was always a really good experience, just going there, spending the night. Didn't you cook with her or bake with yeah, her? Yeah, cheesecake. Um, I actually, we would bake cheesecake. Jane's family says she was loving, supportive, caring, and... Don't forget sassy. <laughs> it was yeah. sassy. Oh, yeah, she was. <laughs> we would call each other, well, don't, don't tell me what to do, bitch, kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Who you call a bitch? I'm calling you a bitch. <laughs> uh, I, remember, I remember one time it was like a family dinner at their place, and Uncle Al started talking about something, and my Aunt Jane just goes like, "Don't be, don't be surprised when my eyes glaze over." <laughs> Things like that. Celeste, you profiled Jane Klein. We've been talking about her previously living in Fayetteville. She lived in New York and also in North Texas. So she had family and communities really in different places. Uh, You spoke to a lot of folks. What did her loss mean to the family and community members you spoke to? Um, If I had to describe it in one word, it would be heartbreak. Uh, She was born and raised in Long Island. And then, like you said, she went to North Texas where she essentially helped found the North Texas Irish Festival, which is now one of the largest uh, Irish festivals in the U.S. Um, it's held in Dallas at the Texas State Fairgrounds, and it's the second largest event that's held there, se- uh, second only to the Texas State Fair. Um, and Jane was just such a powerful figure in this community. She essentially just helped build this empire that it is today. Everyone knew who she was, and everyone loved her. She was just so celebrated and adored. I also spoke to Heather Pelkey, who is a family friend of Jane's, who lives in Dallas. Jane would spend weeks out at the festival grounds, making sure that everything was fine, going around to every vendor during the weekend. You know, back then it was, you know, a handful of vendors, whereas now we have over 400. But she was the catalyst that started finding the basis of what we have now. This year, the festival was held virtually because of the pandemic. Heather said event organizers expected a couple thousand online visitors. But we had 24,000 people log in from 18 different countries. That's what she built. She was that group that never stood down and never stopped believing in the fact that this area needed an Irish community. In addition to being heartbreaking, and while we weren't focusing on the death so much as the life of the person, What struck me about this story you told about Jane Klein was she had had one of the COVID vaccine doses and then got COVID in between and then passed away. And people you talked to talked about that a little bit. 
Yes, Kristen told me that Jane got the vaccine on January 13th, and then a week later, on January 20th, that's when Jane tested positive. And then 10 days after Jane tested positive is when she passed away. Celeste, I want to ask you, did reporting and producing this story change how you looked at the pandemic and and, and at the last year of of your life? Uh, Yes, (laughs) that's the short answer. Yes. I have been covering this pandemic as a daily news reporter, so day in and day out, ever since the first case was reported in North Carolina. And I think covering that over the past year has really, unfortunately, desensitized me to a lot of this. I think I have definitely fallen um, fallen prey to just looking at the numbers and just seeing numbers and just feeling or rather not feeling anything because just so much is coming at me every day and I don't process it because I know that if I do, it's just completely overwhelming. So working on this story really allowed me to take a step back and actually um, just digest how massive this pandemic is and has been. And um, sorry, but... Both of my parents and my little sister actually got COVID over the summer. And there was a point where I was genuinely terrified that my mom was going to pass because she has a lot of underlying health conditions. And I was making contingency plans of what am I going to do when she passes? I'm the oldest in my family, so that means I'll have to move back home and take care of my younger siblings and quit my job and so on and so forth. And like just just the thought, the idea of my mom passing was completely gut-wrenching. And to know that I talked to Jane's family and that we talked to all these other North Carolinians and that there are all these other Americans out there that this actually did happen to them, it, it I think a part of me still doesn't think about it and can't process it because I it's just so overwhelming and um, I think if I thought about it too much I would break down too much That's WUNC's Celeste Gracia Next up, my colleague Cole Del Charco remembers a little vegetarian metal kid named Yoshi Stay with us The story of how America's racial wealth gap came to be is a story of violence and a debt unpaid. I'm Lindsay Foster Thomas on a journey of discovery about what it would take to bridge the economic divide between black and white, finally moving us from here to equality. Join me for The Arc of Justice, a special series from the podcast Ways and Means and WUNC, available wherever you get your podcasts. Last spring, eight-year-old Aurea Soto-Morales of Durham died of complications from COVID. WUNC education reporter Coldell Charco says the second grader preferred to be called by her nickname, Yoshi. Even at eight, Yoshi was a dedicated vegetarian and wouldn't eat meat because it harmed animals. 
She loved cats, and when the family finally got a cat, she loved it, though they soon learned their mother was allergic to cats and had to give it away. Her mom told her she had to decide. Do you want a mom, or do you want a cat? Yoshi especially loved endangered red pandas and had a stuffed animal of one named avocado. It also now sits on the table in the living room. Yoshi was Jensian's sister and best friend. They shared a room and bonded over late-night talks. They loved to travel and listen to music. Gentian remembers a time they were all driving back to Durham from the mountains. One of her favorite songs was Duhast, and she would always be headbanging to that song. And then one day we were in the van, uh, this song came up, and she was headbanging in the, in the back seat. And my parents noticed that she, she got embarrassed of us seeing her headbanging. And so we just turned it up, and she, we started headbanging with her. Cole, early in the process, we were talking about Orea Soto Morales, and she passed away really before we knew what the pandemic's impacts or what the virus impacts were going to be on various members of our community. We, we kind of knew at that point that um, people who were of an advanced age were more at risk. Um, we didn't know that kids were not going to be as much at risk. And so her death really did hit hard because we wondered at that point how prevalent the virus was going to be. Uh, it made its way throughout Araya's entire family, as you reported. What did her loss mean to her family and community? Yeah, I spoke with the family of Yoshi Soto Morales. Um, I spoke with her mother, Araceli Morales Martinez, her father, Salvador Soto, and uh, her sibling, Gentian Soto Morales. It certainly, to them feels very unnatural still. I think each one of them is processing in their own way. Um, you know, her mother actually had, the first thing I noticed when they um, brought me into their, their home to speak with them for this story was um, a table that she had had with tons of pictures of Yoshi, as uh, they called her and as she asked everyone to call her. Um, lots of pictures of Yoshi, some, you know, cookies, Takis, other snacks that she liked on the table. Um, and even they had pictures and a painting of her up on the wall. And so for them personally, you know, that that's how her mother has been dealing with it. But like you were saying, uh, this is something that I think everyone took notice of. She was one of the first children to die from the virus in North Carolina. And yeah, so everyone all the way up to the state level took notice. The State Board of Education mentioned her death. You know, lots of people have been affected by this. And I think our imaginations go to kind of where she would have gone in life. And anytime a child dies, it's particularly tragic. These kinds of stories are really hard to tell, but they can almost be cathartic in a way. Um, I'm wondering, Cole, if you felt any of that when you reported produced this story about Araya and, and, and how did it impact how you looked at the past year? Yeah. Well, you know, when I sat down with her parents and her sibling, 
they definitely were it was one of those things where it's hard to talk about but it's good to talk about they clearly wanted you know to talk about Yoshi they wanted to talk about who she was um and going into that interview I had been thinking and kind of anticipating like so many of us have been the end of all of this the end of this pandemic it seems so close so many people are getting vaccinated so many things are on the horizon that seem to be improvement seem to be good things coming but you know something we can't ignore and this is how this this story impacted me is speaking with this family i remembered that the grief um, and the pain from the last year is going to be with us for much longer than this pandemic will be. That was WUNC's Cole Del Charco. You can hear the stories from Cole, Liz, and Celeste, and several other beautiful remembrances from the Lives Lost series at WUNC.org. I really hope you'll check it out. That's it for this episode of Tested. I'm Dave DeWitt. Rebecca Martinez and Charlie Shelton Orman produced this episode. Amanda Magnus was the editor. And Lindsay Foster Thomas is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>